Hey, thanks again for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean closes out Chapter 4 in the Book of Ephesians. We're continuing in our series called In Christ We Are, and we are looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and we are in Ephesians chapter 4 this week. I'm excited to jump in with you this morning, but I think it'll be helpful as we think about this letter and its content. If you're just joining us or if you're just watching this, it's very important to remember where we've been and this principle that who we are in Christ was the first part of this letter, and now the idea of how do we live in Christ is the second part of this letter, but let's put ourselves back into the shoes of its initial intended audience. This church, somewhere around 60 AD, had gotten this letter from a pastor that loved them and cared for them, and he wanted for them to know the application of the gospel. In other words, what it meant to trust and believe in Jesus, then, then how that informed and inspired and enabled their everyday life. And so if you just hear this morning, if you just hear the content that we're going to walk through this morning and you don't know the gospel and you don't know the good news of Jesus and you don't know who you are in Jesus and you just hear behavior modification, you're going to miss it. So the indicative, in other words, this is who we are in Christ, it's going to go before the imperative. Now, this is how you have to live. And so let's, let's just imagine for a moment we're a first century church. We've come from different backgrounds, different cultural perspectives, different language perspectives. We're, we're in Ephesus, which is a, a, a commerce center of influence and trade, and, and the gospel is taking root. But all around us is idolatry, and all around us are cultural temptations, and all around us are difficulties that stand in the way of faithfully following Jesus. That was true for them. It is absolutely true for us. And the, and, and the temptations that they were facing are not unlike the temptations that we are facing today. The influences that they were facing are not unlike the influences that we are facing today. And so please, please hear this in the right light. In light of who we are in Christ, there's real clear instruction of this is how we live in Christ. And today there's more very specific things that Paul is having to address in the life of this early church. Things that if we were honest up front, we would probably not want to go, yeah, I, I struggle with that and that and that, also this and that and this as well too. And so, but the church early on, just like the church now, is full of people. And therefore, it's gonna be full of people struggling with sin. And it's gonna be full of people who do things they wish they did not want to do and say things they did not want to say and react in ways they don't want to react. And so this was good news for them. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. But I want you to hear it in the right light. Because of who you are in Christ, because of the good news of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for you and for me, we can hear behavioral suggestions or behavioral changes or behavioral commandments, or we can hear correction in light of the gospel and in light of grace. And that's how we have to hear it this morning. And when we fail to live up to these things, where do we go? We go back to, okay, but this is who we are in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. When I fall short, and I do, this is where I have to go back to. This is who I am in Christ. This is what God has declared true over my life forever. Therefore, I want to live these things out. So will you jump in with me? We're in Ephesians chapter four, working from 17 all the way down to the end. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy or eager to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, he's saying, this isn't Jesus. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, okay, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, you put lying away, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk or unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And you got to know that the first readers of this letter, they're like, that's me. I, I'm struggling. I love Jesus. I, I want to follow him. I want to be faithful to him. And one guy goes, yeah, I, I'm struggling with stealing. And one girl gets up in the early church. She's like, I, I've been lying. Someone else gets up and goes, I'm angry all the time. You know, Paul, he, his, his pastor's heart is coming through. He's going, you can't live this way. You, you, can't, you can't do this. It's not fitting for the people of God in light of the gospel of God. So something's going to have to change. And I want us to get into this mindset for a moment of what it's truly like to be lost. Some of you have recently come to faith in Jesus. So you know, you can remember what life was like before Jesus. Some of you have grown up in the church, and so you've always, in your mind, kind of just known, known it. But for other people who've come to faith later in life or, or after a season of rebellion, it's helpful for us. This is part of me wanting to equip you and myself of going, what's it really like to be lost? What gets us lost? And, and what's it like? So Paul has this sequence of, of living no longer like the non-Jews do, living like the nations do. And it's like this. There's a hardness of heart. It begins with a hardness of heart. That hardness of heart, you could translate it another way. It's just pride, right? Don't tell me what to do. Don't. Don't tell me what to do. I don't need you. I don't need God. Don't tell me what to do. That's the hardness of heart. That's pride. That's pride specifically to God saying, I don't need you. And that's the, that's the beginning of the end, right? When our heart's desire now is to go, God, I, I only need you. But that hard heart says pridefully, I don't need you. Don't tell me what to do. That hardness of heart leads to or reflects ignorance within. Again, Paul is describing, he's not prescribing how it happens. He's just describing the lostness, but this hardness of heart, it indicates ignorance within, right? Not lack of intelligence, but ignorance, like a not, not knowing the goodness of God. And this hardness of heart and this ignorance within, this is the next thing that he says, then you're alienated from the life of God. Can you think of anything more miserable? Honestly, in the fall of the garden, right? When Adam and Eve chose to rebel, and they began to experience for the first time separation from the life of God. You've got to know 
That was a significant loss because he used to walk in the garden in the cool of day with them. But lost people, they're alienated from the life of God. So it makes sense why they're so desperate to put their hope and their life in anything else. Right? That's why they're, they're in search of life because they are alienated from the life of God, the giver of life itself. They are darkened in their understanding. You've heard me say this over and over again. I'm gonna keep saying it. Not everything people think is a good idea. And not every human emotion should bear authority on decision-making. And not every whim of the will is a good thing. It's all been affected by sin. Not even as Christ followers, not every thought we have, not every desire we have, not every motivation or will for, some of that's got to be sifted. A lot of that's got to be sifted. All of that's got to be sifted. What does the word of God say? What are the purposes of God for my life? What does it mean to glorify Jesus with my life? If I can't do those things with that, I probably don't need to be doing those things. And so I'm continuing to say, you are not your highest authority. You're, you're not. That's the sea that we're swimming in as a nation, as a culture in Western society, is that you do you, you are your highest authority. That's a lie. It is a lie. You are not your highest authority, but for people that are lost, they're darkened in their understanding. They have become their own God. They are darkened in their understanding. They are their own highest authority. And that's why they say to God, I don't want you. It's a hardness of heart. And here's what happens with a hardness of heart and ignorance within and alienation from the very life of God. Here's what happens when people become darkened in their understanding. They become calloused. They quit caring, right? And it just doesn't matter anymore. And then here's the thing that happens to people that quit caring. They give themselves over to sensuality. And not only that, they're then greedy or eager or excited to practice every kind of impurity, it's true. We know it. You absolutely know it, and I do too. That's why lost people do what they do. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity because they're looking for something that will satisfy. And there's only one that will satisfy. It's God. But when we think about the hardness of heart, the ignorance within, alienated from the life of God, darkened in our understanding, callous, given over to sensuality, and greedy to practice all that, that should break our hearts. And when we see people behaving in that way, we should not go, yeah, I told them. No, that should, that, should, that should break our hearts. And we should be able to walk alongside people in their brokenness and be okay that they're not okay and be gracious and patient with them, showing them the life of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the life of God that is in us as Christ followers so that they will see and hear there is a different way, a better way that leads to life and peace. And those things, they just don't satisfy. And that's, that's what we need to walk in today. It doesn't always look like immorality. It may just be pride and arrogance. I don't need God is what some people may say. But other people may have gone so far that they don't care about their bodies, they don't care about their lives, and they've just given themselves over to everything. Either way, Christ follower, walk alongside broken people graciously, showing them the kindness and mercy of God and helping them hear and see in your life there's an invitation to something better. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter one. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They're darkened in their understanding. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. People are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The truth of God for a lie. But Paul says, but that's not how you learn Christ. Ephesians 4.21 says, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Can anyone relate to having deceptive, deceitful desires and how that can lead us astray? That's why I'm concerned and want to keep saying not every desire you have is good. Not every longing of your heart is going to lead you to Jesus. Some of those longings are going to lead you astray. And Paul's saying, that's not how you've learned Christ. Put off the old, put on the new, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self that's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There's another letter, Colossians, that talks about this, and we're going to look at that too. Colossians chapter 3, this idea of putting off the old and putting on the new. Colossians 3 says this, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, here's the list. Again, here's the list of things that need to change because we are in Christ. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked while you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Like literally, put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul had to write that to a church. Quit lying. Quit cussing each other out. Quit practicing impurity and obscenity. Quit being angry with one another. He had to address that behavior. And y'all are thinking, well, at least we're, our church isn't that way. Uh, well, maybe, but probably not. We're all people. We all are going to struggle with something at some point. And listen, we all have to put those things away. Our goal is to be mature in Christ Jesus. And I said it a couple weeks ago, just because you're 55 or 35 or 75 or 25 doesn't mean that God is done with you. And it's a continual surrender. God, I want to grow in my knowledge of you and in the likeness of you. Paul goes on in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and he says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Here's the, here's the indicative. This is who you are in Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He's like, he had to remind them, oh, and by the way, be thankful. He's having to say this, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, in other words, correcting one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and God. And here's the greatest verse of freedom. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you want to know the litmus test of should you do it or should you not, think on this verse. I am free to do whatever in word or deed. I'm completely free to do whatever in word or deed to the glory of God the Father. You can go to the ends of the earth in the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. But there are some things you cannot do in the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And if you're struggling in a dilemma, just ask yourself the question, can I do this in the name of Jesus? And if the answer is no, there's your answer. Can I do this in the name of Jesus? For the fame of Jesus, I'm going to make this decision. And if you can't do it, don't. That will lead you to freedom. John Stott says it this way, it's because we've already put off our old nature in that decisive act of repentance and conversion that we can be logically commanded, put away these practices which belong to that old rejected life. Because we've already been changed by grace through faith, we should absolutely put those things away and put on the new things. And the greater practice is not just saying no to sin, although that's important. That's really important. But the better way to that is yes to God, no to sin. Right? Yes to you, Jesus, therefore no to that, Jesus. Yes to you, God, so I, I can easily say no to that thing. But if your idea is how can I manage my sins, you're gonna fail. If you're asking the question, how can I sin less, you're going to fail. If you're making promises to yourself, I'm never going to do that thing, see that thing, say that thing, go to that place, date that person ever again. If you're making those promises to yourself and you're trying to manage your sin, you've missed it. You have got to pursue knowing Christ and out of that relationship, let that inform your decision-making process. And if you can't do it in the name of Jesus, don't. It's really that simple for you and for me. I'm saying this to me, just like I'm saying this to you. And so when we're invited to put those things off, it really is a putting off of something old and a putting on of something new. I read the story this week of a pastor who adopted four children at the same time. Now we've adopted two at the same time and that was awesome and challenging. Uh, this guy adopted four at the same time. I'm sure he would say it was awesome and challenging twice, you know, but the story of his adoption was really powerful. And the thing that was interesting to me that stood out is when he adopted his children, the orphanage policy was they cannot take any clothes with them. And so these children, in likely poverty, had to leave behind the clothes that they were used to living in and in exchange with a new family, get all new clothes. What a powerful reminder actually, of what happens when we come to faith in Christ. We leave the old behind 
and he puts on something brand new. It's the story of the prodigal son. When he comes home, he gets his father's robe and his father's ring and his father's sandals. And that says, you belong. You're one of us. You have my authority, my name. You've got my blessing. When we think about putting off what is old and putting on what is new, just know this. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5. I'll be teaching about that in just a couple weeks. But adoption is a crystal clear image of the gospel. It could not be any clearer. Someone who did not belong now fully and forever belongs. Someone who did not have anything now has everything. Someone who did not have a name has a name forever. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what is my response to James 1.27, where it says, this is what he's after, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Every Christian needs to ask and answer the question, here is my response of how I in my life will care for widows and orphans in their distress. In my late 20s, April and I, we were, we were wrestling through that. And our response to what is my response to James 1.27 is, we're going to adopt. That was, that was our response. And I'm so glad that we did. And you need to prayerfully consider what is your response. Is it to support those who do? Is it to serve those who do? Or is it, in fact, just to do it? And I, I'm going to pray that God would lead you so clearly in that. But the church is plan A for the roughly 100 million orphans worldwide. And so somehow, as mature Christ followers, we need to ask and answer the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to James 1.27 when I think about these widows and orphans? Adoption is a wonderful picture of the gospel. So he's saying, how do we live out this new identity? Now, here's, here's where we jump into this behavior correction thing from Paul. In this thing. And basically, it's replaced one behavior with another. Instead of lying, tell the truth. Instead of being unrighteously angry, be righteous in your anger. Instead of stealing, go work hard and give it away. Instead of sinful conversation or rotten conversation, practice saying something that's edifying. Instead of being bitter and full of rage, practice kindness and forgiveness. That's easy to say. You're like, yeah, I got it. It's tough to do. Don't got it. And so when we think about this, two observations about this corrective behavior from them. These exhortations are relational. It has to do with how people are relating to God and one another. The other observation is these exhortations are not just say no to sin, but they're saying yes to God first, yes to his purposes first. So the Christian life, when you think about it, it cannot be lived in isolation. That too is a lie of North America, right? That your Christian life is just between you and God at 7 a.m. with a cup of coffee in your journal. That's just, nope. The Christian life is to be lived in community, on mission as community, for the purposes of bearing witness to the community. So the Christian life is something, yes, we are to know him individually, but yes, we are to know him corporately, and we are to bear witness to that communally. And so the Christian life is not just uh, my, my tiny little isolated private individualism moment. It's, hey, church, go be the church to people that need to see it. The other thing is that the Christian life is a whole life, you've heard me say this, a whole life, yes to God, response. And I want you to ask yourself that question, what in my life does not look like a whole life, yes to God, response? And if something does not look like a yes to God response, maybe today is the day that you start that journey of saying yes to him. So we're gonna work through these little corrective moments 
for a second and look at uh, some scripture around that. So the idea of saying no to lying, but yes to telling the truth. Zechariah chapter eight says this. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Psalm 4 says this. Be angry and do not sin. That's pretty clear. <laughs> that's, that's about as clear as it gets. Be angry and do not sin. He goes on. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We see Jesus get angry and grieve injustice. Look at this story from Mark chapter 3. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And as the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, and Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. See those words? He was angry and grieved. That's a clue as to what righteous anger looks like. Be angry. Do not sin. Grieve the sin. So, and, and we're real people here. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be angry and sin. And if you're mad about something, grieve what is wrong. Be angry in the right way. I'm saying that to myself. Grieve what is wrong. Say, this is what is not right. It makes me angry. Just don't sin in your anger. I'm saying that to myself as much as I'm saying that to you. Righteous anger will come with grief over sin. He says, no to stealing, no more stealing. Say yes to hard work and generosity. Does anybody remember their first job? Mine, 40 hours a week. I made $3.33 an hour before taxes. Yeah. I pulled weeds 40 hours a week. It was awesome. I mean, I was so filthy, so dirty, so sweaty, so nasty teenage boy at the end of that work day. And I loved it. And after working 40 hours at $3.33 an hour all summer long, I was able to buy my first piece of junk car. And it was great. There's something about hard work that is very important for all of us. It is good to work hard. It is good to know how hard it is to earn a dollar. And it is better to, after having worked hard, experience the joy of generosity actually. And he said to this church, hey, no more stealing. Work hard, be honest, and share. That's what he says. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? His whole life was consumed. I'm not going to sing it. I know you want me to sing it. I'm not going to sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was, I could, I, I might. But his whole life was consumed with taking until he met Jesus. And then Radical conversion and radical generosity was the overflow of his life. And here's one probably most applicable for a lot of us. Culturally, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is good for building other people up, that it may give grace to those who hear. You cannot watch a show and not hear garbage. So be careful little ears 
what you hear. Because at some point, all that you hear just might come on out. And if that's the case, you just need to rethink what you're watching. Because when we tear other people down or obscenity comes out of our mouth, it's incongruent with who we are as people. And the evidence that you're walking with Jesus over time is that the way you speak is different than the way of the world. It just is. You can read more about that in James. But this is what Isaiah 50 says. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning and wakens my ear like one being instructed. Isn't that a great compliment? The Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. What a privilege it would be for you to know a word that would sustain the weary, to have so much of the word of God in your heart and in your mind that when someone is struggling, you're like, hey, I just wanna share this with you. The Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue and he's given me a word to sustain your weary soul. Here it goes. You are loved by God. Wouldn't that bring joy to your life? If someone who's just worn down, you had the privilege of stepping into a moment? Well, I just wanna remind you of Ephesians 2.10. You are his masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. Some of those good works are speaking a word that sustains the weary soul. Proverbs 15 says it this way, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. Let's all say apt together. I haven't said that recently, but I said it this morning. How good is a timely word? Put Ephesians 2.10 and how good is a timely word? I pray that you'd be paying attention to that. And then this last one is say no to bitterness and rage and yes to kindness and forgiveness. Anyone struggle with anger? I'm not looking right now because I don't want you looking at me. I know you do, and you know I do, and we all know we do. And at some point, for some reason, people struggle with anger. And it could be because there's something unresolved. It could be anger is an expression of fear or worry. But this is very, very important, that we say no to bitterness and rage and say yes to the loving kindness of God as he works kindness and forgiveness in and through our souls. Many of you know I have a large family, and so going out to eat, for my family, it's just, it's inconvenient and ridiculously expensive. And so we end up eating a lot of food at home. And over the years, if I don't say so, my darn self, I'm actually, I've become, I like to cook. And I like to cook for my family. And in general, I'm good at it. And so, uh, given that I'm so humble about this, I, uh, I, I wanted to spice up the recipes this summer. And so uh, we planted some basil. Anyone like fresh basil and tomato salad? Super good. So the other night, I was like, okay, it's time. We bought some heirloom tomatoes. We had basil growing on the back porch. And I was like, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Fresh tomatoes, basil salad, little balsamic, little olive oil, salt and pepper. You're gonna go home and make that. And that'd be great with me. I'm fine with that. There's no, wrong, no harm in that. But we're making it. I'm, I'm chopping the tomatoes. And I'm like, Luke, Luke is my 12-year-old son. He's awesome. Servant heart, great guy, best big brother to his little sisters. And he's learning how to be a tough youngest brother to his older brothers. He's a solid citizen. Love him. He's like, dad, what can I do to help? I'm like, Luke, take these scissors and go outside and cut some fresh basil. He's like, on it. So he goes out to the back porch 
and he cuts every leaf off of a pepper plant. <laughs> and he comes back in, he's like, Dad, these are huge basil leaves. I'm like, uh, well, those aren't basil leaves. That's the pepper plant that we planted a couple weeks ago. I don't think there's anything left of the pepper plant. He's like, I'm like, my man, you just killed the pepper plant. <laughs> Go back out. The basil's on the, it's the small little green leaves. He's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. Ask me if I got angry. I didn't. I didn't. Could I have gotten angry? I hate to admit it. Maybe on a bad day, yeah. And why? why? It's a plant. But the truth is, any adult in the room ever been angry when they didn't want to be over something that was ridiculous? That's sin living in you. It's not you. It's in you. It's in me, too. And I wish I could say I, I've never been angry with my wife or never been angry with my children or never been angry at people in this church, but I have. And can I also say in my anger, I've sinned. And I, I don't want to do that. And I know you don't want to do that. And we got to get rid of that. We got to put that away. Yes to Jesus. Yes to kindness. Yes to forgiveness. So yesterday we're in the yard planting more flowers as I watched my pepper plant resume life, maybe. And uh, Luke and I are back at it in the yard. And again, he's a solid citizen. And uh, he's like, what can I do to help? I'm like, let's plant some lantana. So we're planting lantana. It attracts butterflies. We're having a great time. And I look over and Luke is pulling up other things from the yard. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, these are weeds. I'm like, those are not weeds. Those are flowers that your grandparents have given your mother that were nursing back to life for two years. What are you doing? And he's like, oh, I've done it again. I'm like, Luke, you're two for two. You're killing all the vegetation in our home. Stop it. But not really. I wasn't angry again. And I was thinking about the sermon just mere hours away going, and I, and I know I'm going to get angry because I'm saying this now. I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry. And again, I can say I wasn't angry because in the past, I've been angry. And so I'm, I'm a little encouraged that God is changing me, and I hope that you can be encouraged that God is changing you. And if you say before the Lord, I don't want to be angry anymore, I don't want to be easily offended anymore, he can do that work in you. You just need to ask and then walk in obedience. This is what Titus says in chapter 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works by us done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So church, this is who you are in Christ, and you've got to put, I've got to put those things away and I need to put on the things that look like Jesus. And so I want us to be on a journey together in that. By his grace, through faith, through trusting in him, we can let go of our former way of living and our former way of reacting and put on kindness and humility and compassion. And we can bear with one another and forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven to you. I'll close with this line. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray.
Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.